We get to see today finally how the gospel of life really changes daily living. We're coming to the portion where Romans makes a shift, and we've had all this wonderful theology, and you've, you've walked through week by week with us as we look at the theology of Romans, and now he transitions to say, in light of that theology, what do we do? It's interesting because it's, it's, it's a bit like when I was a new parent, and here comes the baby, and there it is. I'm like, what do I do with it? And the first thing is, don't call it an it. What do I do with her? But you realize what you really long for is someone to tell you what to do. When do I nap? When do I not? What do I feed? What do I not do? What do I do this? How do I wrap? What do I... I mean, there's eight million questions about things that you want to know what to do. We're starting in today on how do we respond to the gospel. We have this new heart, and what do we, what do, we do? How do we respond? So some of those things we get to start in on today in Romans chapter 12. Look there with me. I'd like to read the section we'll be diving into. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, verse 1, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We start there. Then he keeps going. Do not be transformed, conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There's more. We'll stop there. We want to think about this morning, what does it mean to respond to the wondrous gospel, good news of Jesus Christ that we've been given? And we're going to start here with our transformed, uh, should be our worship, our thoughtful worship. Really what we start with is worship that is thoughtful. Look with me. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul starts and he says this. He says, I appeal to you. It's very interesting that after all of this fantastic theology, after the wonder of what God's done for you, what Paul does is make an appeal. Say, and now you will do this, people. He says, I plead with you. I plead with you. Therefore, in light of all that we've seen, by the mercies of God, these incredible mercies that you've tasted, I want you to do something, he says. That appeal is based on the mercies of God, what we've already seen happen, right? We know these things. We've walked through them. Justification. Not just as if I've only, and never sinned, but also as if I've always obeyed. Pardon, removal of sin, standing and sharing Christ's righteousness. That's where we've been in Romans. 
We not only that, but we've been identified with Christ. We've been taken from this kingdom of darkness and put into a kingdom of light. We're now dead to sin and in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We have help in infirmity. We have the coming glory. We have no separation possible ever between us and God. We've been walking through and seeing, wow. And I hope with me your eyes have been opening. Wow. Okay, Lord, I'm ready. I'll do anything. Look what I have. And so Paul says, therefore, in light of all these amazing things that you have, and we have the gospel, and we've seen what it means and the depth of it. Then he says this. He says, present your bodies. I'm going to go slow through these two verses. They set up everything. Please, and I, please, I appeal to you. I exhort you. I, I say, oh, that you might do this. Here, present your bodies as a sacrifice. There's an action to be taken. That we take ourselves who we are, we're a living, a breathing body, and we say, God, I desire to lay it down for you. It reflects verses like 1 Peter 2, verse 5, where it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we are. We're a sacrifice. That's the exhortation. Be that way. The thing is, is that actually your your text says something a little different. I, I think even the ESV says it this way. It says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The exhortation is to be a sacrifice. But we're made alive, we're made holy, we're made well-pleasing in Christ. A living sacrifice is said about this text. The problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. But I want you to consider this. This is important. One of the biggest deals about this text. Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be a living sacrifice. I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm asking what to do because I want to respond in my heart to the Lord. It says, okay, here's what you do. You're going to be a sacrifice. And then people do this. They do something along the lines of, you need to be holy. You need to be well-pleasing to God. And I want you to see that these are three adjectives of the sacrifice that, that describe who you are. I urge you to present your bodies as a sacrifice is the urge, is the appeal that we say in our hearts we're a sacrifice. But what sort of sacrifice are we already? Not what you're going to be, but what are you? See, that's what he's describing here with these other three words. I'm alive. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm a holy sacrifice. And I'm a blameless sacrifice. Or a well-pleasing sacrifice. That's really important. It's important to our thinking in the gospel. If you get this wrong, you're not going to get the whole flow of this passage. You're not going to get the means by which God has given us to be a living sacrifice. And you're going to get caught up again in the world. So follow me. If you're alive, did you make yourself alive? It's okay to say no. If I told you, hey, someone tell me, tax. Be alive. I say, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't make myself alive. 
It's God who's taking me from the dead and giving me breath and making me life. And so here I say, a living sacrifice, i.e., God has made you a living sacrifice. Look, this is who you are. And then there's this word, holy, a holy sacrifice. Who's made you holy? Have we not just been through Romans 1 through 11? I have the righteousness of Christ. In him I stand and in him alone. If I stand before God, holy is a great word. Set apart, you know, many of us, for us, we think of holiness as something prudish and something hard and something kind of like, oh, I'm just not sure I'm going to have to grit through this. It's going to be a grind. God is loving, you know, but he's also holy. Meaning what? It's a counterbalance to being loving? That's how we think sometimes. and It's not true. It's not castor oil. Holiness is beautiful and lovely and sweet and ravishing. God is a God. He's distinguished. He's set apart from all other beings. He's exalted above them. This is Jonathan Edwards who says this. Chiefly by his divine beauty. Do you think holy? You think wondrously beautiful. Set apart from this earthly place that's hard. And, and it's, it's amazing, God's holiness. See, that's what can be on God's altar, right? We're talking, the plea is, be a sacrifice. Well, present your body as a sacrifice. Present who you are as a sacrifice. Here I am going to say, oh, God, I want to. you got to realize, you don't get to be that unless you're alive. Amazing, because the Old Testament sacrifices were dead. You don't get to be that unless you're holy. And you see, in Jesus Christ, you are. You don't get to be that unless you're well-pleasing to God. And in Jesus Christ, you are. In Christ, we're pleasing to God. Christ looks at us and he sees the wonder sacrifice of his son. And so our thinking starts. Our thinking starts as Paul begins. He says, oh, I call you by the wonders of the mercies that you've tasted, that you present your bodies a sacrifice because you're alive and you're holy and you're well-pleasing to God. These things are about your ability to be a sacrifice. And outside of Christ, you cannot. But in Christ, you are these things. That's a starting point for our thinking. Because there's this insidious error that comes in, and it does. I know why it does. I I can get there too, because well-meaning preachers, wiser than I, they're zealous for practical exhortation. They want you to shape up. But you know what? I, I can't put you on the altar. And so this thing comes in to say, strive to be a, a strive to be a holy and well-pleasing sacrifice. We'll just ignore the living that you can't do. In fact, we'll put it in a different spot in the sentence. They all go together. The text doesn't put you there. We are holy and blameless and pleasing. You are. And and can you nod your head and say, you know what? In Christ, I am. That's an important starting point for us in all of the light of Romans. If we can't start there, you're going to drift back. And I'll show you why. All three are done. Please don't reject the work of Christ. And you will be 
if, if you think, hey, what I'm supposed to do is in light of God's mercies, I'm supposed to make myself blameless. Or I'm supposed to make myself holy in this initial sense, in this fundamental sense. You will end up like any world religion anywhere that basically says to God, God, I will pay you back. I will do it. I will get there, Lord. I'll grit it and get it. By the mercies of God, we present our bodies as a sacrifice. Amazed that we're alive. Amazed that we're holy. Amazed that God looks at us and he's well pleased in our fallenness through Christ. This is our spiritual worship, verse 1 says. This is our spiritual worship. It's a different word there. It's a, some translations will go with rational service. Some will go with, with different statements. But it means intelligent, thoughtful service or worship. This is a logical response. The logical response to the gospel the thoughtful response to your eyes being open. If you really do today, open your eyes and say, you know what, Dax, you're right. I've been with you through Romans. We've been looking at this amazing depth that it's all Jesus Christ alone. Therefore, here I am saying, you know what, it's true. I'm alive. I don't know, I don't deserve to be alive, but I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I turn to him and, and, and I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart and I'm saved and I, I'm holy in his sight and I have his righteousness by which I stand, his righteousness alone then the logical response would be, Jesus Christ, you own me. Doesn't he? Doesn't Jesus totally own me? He redeemed me. He ransomed me. He's reconciled me to God. He's given me a new life. He'll let me go to heaven, his heaven. I get to serve with him forever. I've been united to him in Christ alone. Doesn't he own me? Isn't it my logical service? Isn't it my rational response? Isn't it a normal worship? That worthy God is. How worthy God is to, to have me forever. Not that I'm any great thing, but God saved me. That's this thought. It's a logical response. It's the right response. It's a real response to the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart. The gospel changes everything. And God in his grace, he says, responding this way is reasonable. It agrees with reality. God, he's worthy. It's very different. It's very different, right? As we start, this is foundational. It's very different from saying, okay, here's my rational thing that I'm going to pay God back. I'm going to try so hard to earn from him by being holy and well-pleasing. And I'll, that sacrifice, i got to be a good sacrifice or else else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay him back. No. All you can do is say, I see it, Lord. Oh, what you have done. I present all that I am. It's yours. You've purchased me forever. We are holy, all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. We are well-pleasing to God on a fundamental level because of our Savior. This is the reality of Romans 12, verse 1. So what, what then? Where do I go with that? Here's where you go. You go to verse 2. 
Not just a, a, a thoughtful worship, a reasonable, logical response and service, but we go to, to verse 2, your transformed life. Do not be conformed to this world, he writes, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, get that first piece. Again, we're just going to go slow through verse 1 and verse 2. This is a slowdown for us. We took all of chapter 11 last week and all of chapter 10 the verse time before. So, wow, we're breathing through this text. Make sure you get these verses right. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay, I know what I immediately think. Here's what I think. The world is full of immorality. Hollywood. Horror of... of Base living, self-serving, self-orientation. It, it is those things. And yet, let's throw in some more. Self-righteousness. Earning and scrabbling after yourself. Not conforming to this world. That's to be living in the gospel of God's free grace, right? There's no more merit to be had for us. That's what Romans has just beat out of us over and over as a body. There's nothing else for me to earn from God. I receive the righteousness of Christ by faith alone. And I will not be conformed to the world, which is to go back and that's how the world works. They work by merit. I can't get myself more holy. That's against the gospel. In fact, John would say, okay, now that the Lord saved me, I'm going to get to work and I'm going to make myself good. Then I'm just like my Hindu friend who says by meditation and, and self-discipline, you can make yourself closer to the divine being. Okay, so let's take out the divine being and put in God and we'll just make that Christian. May it never be. Don't be conformed to the world. The world says, here, make bargains with God. If I do this for you, God, then do this for me. That's the sort of sacrificing that the world systems do. That you think, oh, if I do this, I'll get that back. That's anathema to God. He gave you such that you will never pay him back. How we fail by thinking that nonconformity to the world is only moral behavior. It does include that. When it's so much more, this world system that we're in is soaked in from day one. What it's soaked in is self-righteousness. What's amazing is that we have a deliverance from self-righteousness. How? Therefore, by the mercies of God. Presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, saying, Lord, you've taken care of me so well. I cannot be taken any better care of than I am right now. I lay down my life, Lord, because you, you own it. It's not a payback. I've already been promised amazing things that will never end. So what I want to do, Lord, is ah, acknowledge that you own me. Willingly. It's not just nonconformity. It's being transformed, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 2 says, note the passive. You're not accomplishing this. I can't accomplish being transformed. Go be transformed. If he wanted to say, do it, he'd say, go transform yourself. He doesn't say that. And in fact, the Bible doesn't, right? Here's, here's 2 Corinthians 3.18. In fact, take a look. Just make sure that we see. He's in agreement with the rest of his writings and what else the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 
It's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Holy Spirit, working in you and me to transform us. I want that. Philippians 3. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3 for a minute. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. There's a transformation happening. It's happening in those of us who believe. It's not fully happened because Philippians is talking about glorification when we're done. I long for that. But it's, it's a work of God. There is something we're doing though here. Do you see it? Be transformed, it says, by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. This is not moral reformation alone. This is gospel reformation. What am I supposed to do? Renew my mind. Think a certain way. How am I supposed to think? We just had 11 chapters of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation, says Paul, in his theme verse for Romans. Here I am orienting again to the gospel. Eyes on Jesus Christ. Eyes on Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The world says, make yourself better. Make yourself better. The gospel says you are better. Live like it. The world says, empower yourself. Seek your own equilibrium. The gospel says you're united to Jesus Christ. You have life through death. Those are radically different things. There's a moral aspect to it because our God is a moral God, isn't he? He, he, he's pushing us there here as you, as you look at verse 2. He says that you might approve, right? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This renewing of your mind. I, I think it's better, that it's one verb there that says it, just, just so you know, it's kind of a funny phrase. What is, by testing you may discern, what? That's one verb that has this idea of approval, approving what God approves. That as you taste these things, you approve what God approves. So the renewing of your mind is pushing you towards or into or that way that, that by tasting and seeing you, you're approving what God approves. This is your mind being removed, being renewed and, and, and your, your heart being transformed. What is that? What is testing to discern? What is approval? Okay. Think about this for a minute, what's happening. Think about the glorious truth that's happening to us now in Christ. This is what's happening. What happened with sin and what happens with sin? It happened in the garden. It happened with Adam and Eve. Here's Adam and Eve. They sin against God. They eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What happens? The Bible goes right to, and they realize they were naked. And they were ashamed. 
Okay, so all the time they're in the garden up until they sin against God, were they naked? Yes. And then they eat from the tree and they realize, oh no, this isn't beautiful. I'm naked. Fig leaves, quick. Sell me a dress, get me something. This is wrong. Did God say it was wrong? No. Something happened. What happened? There's a divergence, and it's a divergence that happens all the time now in us, and this happened through history in us. We split from what God says is good and what we think is beautiful or good. So now I think things are beautiful that God says are unholy and wrong. That's sin. In my heart, I think, oh, I long for this, and, and it's not what God wants for me. If it's not what God wants for me, it's not good for me. And yet in my heart, my heart goes there. I start to have these desires that are separate from God's desires. How do I get over that? How do we get back to, I think, in my heart, my true desire is what God thinks is good. How do I match up now to God? See, there's there's a way people think, and it's this, I'm going to struggle to do the things that I think God thinks are good. It's like you're driving down here. There's a nice zone coming up here. You've got to watch out for in the mornings because the lights are flashing and it's a school zone. And you're driving your car down and it's flashing, so it's a 20 miles an hour. Come on, that's I could walk faster. But I'm driving down and I see, I see the guy with the radar out, our local motorcycle policeman. Bless his heart. He's helping us follow the law. It's good. But he's out there with it. You know what I do? I t- hopefully he doesn't see my brakes flash as I quickly slow down to make sure that I don't get a ticket. Those are expensive tickets. So there I am, making sure I slow down. But in my heart, I'm going, come on. This is really slow. I can brake fast. I've got a good anti-lock braking system. I will not hit anyone. Shouldn't it be that as I drive down the road and the, the, the number comes up and the lights are flashing, that I, that I take my foot off the pedal and I long to just do exactly what it says. And I look at the kids going by and I think, man, God made such wonderful creatures and we need to be so protectful of them. And my heart sings and I'm at peace and I don't think, oh, I got to get to church three seconds faster or else someone's going to be sad I didn't return their call. Notice I'm blaming you. It's good, huh? But you see that actually what we need, what we want, is that second thing. It's not the first thing that says, oh, because I'm scared. I, in my heart, don't desire good, but out of fear, I might try and do good because here I am complying myself to what I think my external should be, rather than I actually long for what's good. See, I want to be there. How do I get there? That's what he's talking about. that you may approve what is the will of God as he's laid it out, this good, acceptable, perfect. For moral behavior to be beautiful to us and not to be forced. For us to do good work and no one ever know but Jesus, beautiful. And what drives that, he's poking us towards is understanding the gospel, renewing our mind, reorienting our mind that we are cared for and paid for and blessed forever, saved in Christ fantastically, that we dwell there. 
this truth, and we stay there, it starts to change your heart's desires. It's not forcing ourselves to try and be well-pleasing and holy by force of will, teeth-gritted effort. It must be blameless. You're ignoring the gospel when you do that. The end of that road is fatigue and depression and despair. So transformation, and even in this verse, oftentimes it's viewed by people as our effort or us helping God. That's not it here. This is the Holy Spirit applying the gospel so that we get it. And when we do, we cannot but respond, not as a robot, as one who gets how amazing the gospel is. This is the work of our life it's going to be, is to apply the truth that we know, but we cannot yet see, to the reality of our lives in daily living. Come on, be, be transformed. The gospel is the lens by which we will live our life on earth forever. That's where we're at. Okay, so you're with me maybe. Say that you get it. Well, now what? What's the practical outworking then? How do these things link up? Well, he's going to go now and help us, but they're all tied to vision, to seeing with lenses that see the gospel. Walk with me to our embodied existence, our existence in a body. For by the grace given to me, this is verse 3, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay, so immediately, here you are, reorienting your thinking. By the mercies of God, you're desiring to lay yourself on an altar by your free will of response. Lord, I'm yours. I'm amazed that I'm alive. I'm amazed that you consider me holy and blameless and able to make this sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. And now, see, the first thing is, realize, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Do you see how that's gospel thinking? Because I'm totally cared for. My only value is in Christ. Then for me to go and say, oh no, it's about me. I'm big and strong. I can lift 222 pounds. That's not going to do that. No, that's not it at all. It's all about Christ. So then I shouldn't think of myself more highly than I ought to. I exalt Jesus. All of us. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Sober judgment. So it's not the flip side either. I mean, we don't do this. It's, oh, I'm so nothing. Jesus is everything. Are you a fantastic singer? You watch someone there, beautiful, glorious singers. Oh, thanks for the beautiful music. Oh, yeah, I'm terrible. I, I'm, I can't sing. You go to someone who's, you know, a fantastic runner and they run marathons. Wow, that's amazing. God's made you fast and good. Oh, I'm not good. I can't really run. Yes, you can. Come on, let's race. You'll laugh four times around the church building when I've made it four steps. You can do it. So to think yourself rationally, yes, if God's gifted you, you're just thinking of yourself now in a different way. I've been saved by Christ alone, so I, I'm, I'm humble, but I've been placed in this body, and God's gifted different people, us together, to think rationally about who we are, soberly, real. God's given it. Oh, it's, a, it's God that's done this. Even through a measure of faith, there's a spiritual aspect to it. Man, I, I, I got to get trained as a doctor. 
God made my memory able to memorize stuff. Isn't that cool? I don't say, oh, no, I can't memorize anything. No, I can. It's okay. It's not me. God did it. I give glory to him. But why not use that memory then to help memorize Bible verses and theology and tell people about Jesus? What has God gifted you in? Can you soberly say, yeah, there's a thing here that God's gifted me, and I'm going to use it for him. That's what he's saying. That we do not lie about reality, but you realize where you've been placed. Because verse 4 says, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. This is really important. It's interesting, it's the first thing that he's bringing up now that we realize we're going to be applying the gospel to our life. The first thing he's bringing up is living in unity in a body. That should remind you of some things, like maybe Ephesians chapter 4, where he does exactly the same thing. So important. In one body, we have many people doing things, and yet at the same time, everybody in here who knows Jesus Christ, this is what we're doing. We're one individually members of one another, not ranking, not trying to get ahead, not trying to be the, the best in a, in a over other people sense. But here we are thinking, I just want to be a living sacrifice and serve Jesus. How do you do it? Live in the body. This is a radical gospel shift. It's not about me because there's no self-righteousness. I can't earn something from God that's going to make me more righteous. We're all righteous and we're supposed to serve each other, which will display the wonder of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. So we're supposed to use our gifts. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Gifts. Anything I have, I got from God. So I'm not going to denigrate what God gave me. Let's say, wow, look, he gave me. Let's use them, he says. If in prophecy, truth-telling. Speaking from God, I I think I see something. You're going to say it. In faith, in proportion to our faith. Faith because that's all you have is believing the Holy Spirit's alive in you. If you're in service, in our serving, we serve according to the gospel because we've been served by Jesus Christ. The one who teaches and is teaching. I've got such great news I want you to know. If exhorting in his exhortation, exhorting is helping other people out of tar pits, right? That's the gospel. I don't go around to exhort people so that they might get under my thumb. You need to stop looking at those pictures. They're hurtful to you. And you need to bow down to me. No. No. Brother, you're, you're, you're caught. Let me help you out of, a, out of a pit you've fallen into. That's not good for you. Here, let me show you in the Bible that that's something that's really hurtful to your life. And, and Come on. The one who contributes in generosity. Oh, we're generous because look what we've been given. The one who leads with zeal. Zeal, you know, leadership in the New Testament, it's interesting. It's about service. It's about being low. It's about actually being washing feet. So here it is, service. Service with zeal. Man, if you're going to lead people, meaning be a humble servant, a servant leader, do it with zeal. Get your towel and go for it. Because why? Jesus did. The gospel. If you're the one who does acts of mercy... Oh, you're just out there blessing people with helps. Do it with cheerfulness. Why? Oh, because God did such acts of mercy for me. Oh, by the mercies of God, here I am presenting myself a living sacrifice. We see how each one is filtered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not independent good deeds. They flow from your mind, being renewed by the gospel, leading to body life. That's what we're after. 
I want to report to you in our church that it's happening. I call you to do it. You say, hey, I want to be a living sacrifice. Okay, look at your, look at your own self and say, hey, where are my opportunities? Where are my opportunities to be a living sacrifice that's holy before God and pleasing to him so here I can do it. I can lay down my life. How can you do it? Do it in our body. That's how God's set it up. You know, we had a group recently who just remodeled somebody's house because they're having a new baby. We had, we had money left on someone's doorstep. I'm not bragging on people, but I am. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. We had money left on someone's doorstep for rent. Over $1,000. You know, every week we've got trash. We leave trash in this building. It gets sorted through. And the recycling gets taken out. And your garbage taken so that it's rightly handled. If you walk in our back room, you just walk in. It's a beautiful little storage room that someone took all the stuff out and repacked it again. So now you can walk in and see. It's fun. I'm not telling you who it is. We had somebody just last week who came in. These folks who are sitting over here are sitting on different chairs today because the chairs are straight-backed with pegs in them. It's really crummy when we do our fellowship meal. We've got to take down all our chairs here at the church and put them back up again, and then they get all mixed up because there's two kinds of chairs in our body. Well, just out of the blue, someone came into the body on you know, Thursday night and came and put all the chairs in that back corner that had those kind of pegs over here to be easier for us. Talk about something that's thankless. Lifting chairs. Maybe lifting chairs is not your thing. Where are you? Just blessing people in our body. Why? Not for them, for Christ. Out of the gospel. There's a, this is a gospel-driven vision for our body, the heart for our church, that we might have individual humility and fantastic joy because of what God has given us. And a corporate wonder. A realization that where God has placed you is in this body. And therefore, the gospel says, use your gifts. We start to trust, not in each other, but in Jesus. We can be truthful and authentic because we're focused on Christ. There's no condemnation because we have Jesus Christ. Well, we are, you and I, we are a living, holy, well-pleasing sacrifice because of our union with Jesus. And let that truth of what he's done transform your thinking. His great sacrifice, that our time here, right now, here, today, tomorrow, the next day, whatever breath you have left on earth, may it be for us that we respond to the gospel and therefore are fruitful in ways we might not even see, but which will echo into eternity. I want to end with Colossians chapter 1, verses 21, 22. It goes along. And you, Paul writes, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, this is what Jesus is doing, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Look at what we have. Oh, that that might sink into your soul today. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.